We are uh, continuing our way through First John uh, during our our times together. Um, recall that that John is uh, was a follower of Jesus, uh, one of his authorized uh, spokes persons to uh, communicate the truth of of who Jesus is and what is true about uh, about God. Um, John has, has written this letter to some churches in Ephesus, but John has written other things that are in uh, in the, the scriptures. Um, John wrote an account of Jesus' life and teachings. Uh, the book of uh, the gospel of John, uh, a lot of times, uh, is how people refer to that book. And John has this account uh, in um, in the, his history uh, of, of Jesus' life and teachings, um, where he he describes a time just before the Passover, where where Jesus is uh, is is gathered with his uh, with his disciples, and it's, this is in, found in John chapter thirteen, and, and John starts it starts it off like this. He says, "Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father." Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John starts off this, this chapter in John speaking about the deep love that Jesus has for his people. He loved them completely. He loved them totally. And he loved them to the end. And what unfolds after this is John describes a time where what Jesus does is, uh, John's been, been recording to us how Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, God in the flesh who has entered into our world. He's the ruler of all things because he created all things. And what Jesus does here is, is phenomenal. He takes off his outer garments and he picks up uh, the, the tools of a slave to wash the feet of his disciples. Some disciples... Uh, react strongly to this, not seeing Jesus as one who should be in this type of position of humbling himself to do such an act of cleansing to them. Um, And Jesus tells them that unless he cleanses them, they can have no part of him. Uh, Jesus is is not just talking about washing dirt off of feet. Jesus is is enacting uh, his great work and and showing them what he's going to do, that in love, he will give himself to die for for his disciples. But John wraps that, this account up like, like this. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. And after he, he's done this, this act of love, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus says, if you're my followers, what I want you to do is I want you to love one another. Love your brothers and sisters in Jesus as I have loved you. This is how it will be evident that you are my disciples. We hear that from Jesus. How, how, how are you doing? How am I doing at following this command that Jesus gives? To love Fully, completely, totally. Think, think back through this this week. What what have your interactions been like? Maybe on on Facebook with other believers. 
with issues and topics that have come up? Has, have your discussions and the things that you've typed back or the emojis that you've sent in texts, have they been full of love as Jesus would love them? What about in your, your conversations with those in your, in your, your family or uh, others of us here in our church? Not just your words, but what about things that aren't, aren't being displayed outwardly? What about in your heart? What kind of things have you thought or reactions have you had to other people that you haven't been brave enough to show outwardly, but inside it begins to reveal that, you know what? I'm struggling to follow this command that Jesus gives me to love Christians, to love fellow believers in the same way that Jesus loved me. How quick are we to write off other believers and dismiss them? Um, uh, What do they need to do? And what is the limit to where they can get in the stuff that they do or say that we're get to the point where we're say I'm done with them? How critical are we of other believers? Or have you found a place in your heart and your life right now where you are comfortable and okay with just not loving some of the people that are part of your Christian believing community? We struggle with this. Christians are supposed to love the body of Jesus, His people. You and I are not the only ones to struggle with these things. John, remember, John is writing to a church in Ephesus. And this letter that he's written, it was probably also distributed to other churches. Remember, they had been infiltrated by false teachers who were saying contrary things to what Jesus had taught about who he was and how you live out your life. And John recognizes that in light of the teaching that these uh, false teachers have given and the way that they've lived out their life, Um, uh, the practice of not loving people has begun to enter into this community. And the people that John is writing to struggle just as I do and just as you do to love fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. John is writing here this section that we're going to look at this morning to remind them and encourage them of this command that Jesus gave to work it deep into their hearts not just in their hearts, because if it's in our hearts, it's going to flow out of our lives. Because love, biblically, is not merely an emotion, a flutter of the the heart. It's action. It's life-giving, sacrificial action. So, if you would, turn with me to chapter 2 of 1 John. We're going to be looking in verses 7 through 11 this morning. So if you would, follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You use it to transform hearts, to show and reveal Yourself, and to make us more like Jesus. Expose to us our, our need for, for love and show us the love that we have in You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. John is wanting to encourage this congregation in Ephesus and you and, and me this morning uh, that Christians are to love one another. Uh, and it's interesting to see where, where John starts with this. Uh, he starts by saying that, that what he is commanding this, uh, or, or, or reminding the people of, uh, of, of loving one another, is, is not something, something new. In fact, he says in verse 7, this is, uh, this is in fact uh, an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. John is, is referring back to what he's writing in this letter is not something new that he's just made up. It shouldn't be surprising information for them. In fact, they've had it for a long time. They've had it from the beginning. The way John uses that beginning language could refer to the time where they first heard of Jesus. And if, if that's so, then that, this would have been connected with John communicating to them about Jesus' life and teachings and of them hearing from Jesus, Jesus' teachings of the importance to love. Remember, uh, as, as Jesus went on, there were several times in the accounts that we have of Jesus' life where he's asked a question about the greatest commandment. And Jesus responds like this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This, this call to love is not something new. It's not even something new with Jesus that he, he invented. In fact, Jesus says many times this command to love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is actually living out what is communicated in the law and the prophets. So this old commandment that John is giving us goes back further than, than just what they heard when they first heard the gospel and the good news of Jesus. It goes back further than the teachings that, that Jesus did as he was walking around. It points back to the Old Testament, the stuff that they've heard from, uh, from Deuteronomy, from Leviticus, as uh, these truths were communicated that, that Jesus is just uh, reminding and encouraging them of, again, to love God, to love neighbor. Um, and in fact, if we, if we look at that and think about this, this command of, of love and what it looks like, uh, God really um, demonstrates it and, and explicitly lays it out for us in the Ten Commandments. Uh, we've, we affirmed those together several months ago as we worked through the Ten Commandments during our time of affirmation of faith. And one way to look at the commandments is seeing... Uh, uh, a part of them, four of them addressed to, to loving God and the other side of the commandments of, of loving neighbor, to love, to love others as yourself. Um, and so remember what we've talked about, about looking at the Ten Commandments. Remember, uh, as sin and brokenness entered the world, what God was doing through Abraham was redeeming a people for himself 
so that uh, he could use them to demonstrate and carry out his great mission of rescue and restoration. Um, They were to be blessed, to be a blessing, and to live out life in fellowship with God and fellowship with man. Renewed and restored humanity. So a way to look at the Ten Commandments would be the Ten Commandments are a guide for us to show us what it looks like to live properly functioning humanity. If that's true, then, then this idea of loving God and loving neighbor isn't even new with Moses. It goes back even further to the garden. It's who we were created to be. A very old commandment. One of, uh, one of my favorite movies, series, is the Toy Story series. Has anybody seen Toy Story movies? One, two, three. Uh, Toy Story 2 is, uh, is a, uh, one where uh, Woody, one of the characters in Toy Story, uh, accidentally gets put into some yard sale boxes and he gets sold and, um, on accident and bought by uh, Big Al of Big Al's Toy Barn. And uh, Big Al does not want to play with uh, Woody. What Big Al wants to do is he's trying to compile a, a set of of dolls in order to sell to a Japanese uh, toy uh, collector who's going to put them in a museum. And as Woody finds himself, he he meets and once he's in Big Al's uh, apartment, uh, he meets uh, Bullseye, his trusty horse. He meets Jesse, and he meets Stinky Pete. Well. Uh, he finds out there that he's going to be sent to a museum. And this upsets Woody because Woody knows that toys were created to bring joy to kids. That toys were created to to love and experience the love of of children and to bring joy there. And if they end up in the museum, then they're not going to be able to fulfill what they were created and designed to do. And he spends time talking with Jesse and Bullseye and saying, no, we need to go to, to... to be with the kids. We need to go back to Andy. He will love us. He will care for us. We will bring joy to his life. But Stinky Pete has other things in mind. Stinky Pete is trying to say, hey, you know what? Life will be much better. Not if you go back and do what you were created to do, but but something else. To live a life where you're just focused on yourself. Where you live in a box and kids aren't messing with you and you're not getting sticky and life isn't dirty and complicated. Life in its fullness is actually experienced not doing what you were created to do. And there's this tension of what they're going to believe. And eventually Woody, by communicating and talking to Jesse and Bullseye, convinces them that no, in fact, it is better to live life doing what you were created to do. Here, John is doing the same thing. He's pointing us to the the antiquity of this commandment, the oldness of this commandment, to remind us that loving one another is what you were created to do. Loving others is what you're supposed to do. You were created and you were supposed to do this. This is who you were supposed to be. Back in Genesis 1, remember how God created it as man was put into the garden to reflect God's rule. God's care of creation. What, are they, what was humanity to do? To, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion. Not domination, 
But God placed them in the garden and they were to care for the garden in such a way that it expanded and then it grew. Eden wasn't all of the earth. Eden was a certain little location. And as Adam and Eve fulfilled who they were supposed to be, it was the spread. Their interaction, so the way that they lived, they were to, to better the things around them. They were to promote flourishing and growth within Eden. But it wasn't just, they weren't just to care about plants, but it was one another. Because the way that we see God reflect and interact with us as He loves them, as He cared for them, their lives and their relationships were to be those to where when they interacted with one another and they interacted with others as they were to be born, that they were to seek not their own self-interest, but to seek to promote their flourishing, to love them, to be fully and truly human, is to love. To love others deeply. What we are called to do is to live life as God has called it. One way we could actually define love is to live life in relationships with others the way God designed us to. That is love. Fully seeking out. In fact, John, in, uh, a little bit hints at that. If you look in verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. The way you live is not going to uh, deter deter others from their their pursuit and their growth and their relationship with God, but the way that you interact with them should not be a cause for, for stumbling or struggle, but you should pursue and engage with them in a way that promotes their flourishing, their growth, their development, their delight. John is saying... As we begin to look at this command of loving one another, one reason we should do this, one of the motivations and reminders that he gives us because we struggle to do it, is he's reminding us, be who we are supposed to be, who we were created to be. But John doesn't just stop there. We're not to, Christians aren't to love one another just because that's who we were supposed to be, pointing back to this old, 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 old command. But John also says there's something new about it. John is also pointing to us in this passage that we're to love, Christians are to love one another because that's who we are. We're to love one another because of who we are. Look in verse 8 as he goes on. He says that it's, it's... an old command, but he says in verse 8, at the same time, it is a new command. It's a new commandment. It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This commandment is, is new as well, this command to, to love your neighbor, to love others. What, what makes it new? What's, what's new about it? It seems like what John is getting at is something has changed that gives us new insight and perspective into this command to love. We've already seen, remember, as we look back to this account of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, what Jesus says at the end is, I'm giving you a new commandment. What makes it new? We are to love one another. How? As I have loved you. Jesus breaking into the world shows us what love looks like in perfection. What it looks like for a human 
to live as God designed and intended it. To live in relationship the way God intended it. To love, to give, to sacrifice, to seek the betterment of one another. The reason this commandment is new, John is saying, is because now we have a a, a new understanding of the implications and the full impact of what it looks like to love because God has entered into our world and shown us what it looks like to love and love deeply. And he says here in verse 8, it is true in him. Well, of course. Of course it's true in him. Jesus is the perfect one. He's the righteous one. We've seen this. John has been revealing this to us. Jesus is the righteous advocate that we have before the Father. Jesus existed in perfection from all eternity as the second person of the the Trinity. Of course, Jesus is able to fulfill this command and the command to love one another is true in Jesus. But, But John doesn't stop there. Do you notice what he says? It's true in him and in you. can understand how this command would be true and fulfilled in Jesus, but in in us? How is this commandment true in us? We are not the perfect ones. We are not the righteous ones. We struggle. How do we do this? Uh, John is saying that in some way, this is true in us. In in Romans, uh, another letter by uh, one of God's chosen spokespeople, a man named Paul, uh, he writes in chapter 8 of Romans, he says this about, uh, about the law in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 8. Um, he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul, too, seems to think that the law can be fulfilled in us. What is the law? What has Jesus told us fulfills the law? Love. Loving God, loving others. And now, somehow, because of the work that Jesus has done, it is true in us. Remember, we've been looking at this. This is part of what John has been communicating. That when you embrace and trust in Jesus, you don't just get Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit, the one who transforms, who brings life, who changes, who enables and empowers you to obey, to fulfill the law. Justification, being declared right with God, cannot be separated from sanctification, being renewed in the likeness and image of God, being renewed and restored to how you were created to be. These things must happen together. And so the, the cool thing about the work of Jesus is it's not just sufficient to keep you out of hell, but it transforms and makes you new and brings life now. John is saying, this is who you are. Well, how? How? Well, look, look at what he says. Because, in verse 
8, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Remember when we worked our way through Genesis, what happened when sin entered the world and Adam and Eve failed to love and trust God and they failed to love and trust one another and sin and brokenness entered into the world. Death, separation from God. What's John been describing as separation from God like in this letter so far that we've seen? Remember, light and darkness. To be with God is to be in the light. To be apart from Him is to be in darkness. So one way, according to the way John talks, for us to look at what, how the world is lived after sin is that it was plunged into darkness. Into deep darkness. Brokenness. Anger. Hatred. Pain. Life lived in separation and in rebellion from God. And now John's saying, things are changing. Things have changed. The darkness is passing away. Light, true light is coming. It's broken forth into the world. The promise of the light to come right after the fall, that there would be one who would come. Light would break into this world and defeat the evil one. The angel of darkness, Satan. And come in and bring light and renewal and begin the work of restoration and the destruction of sin and death is Jesus. And John's saying that time has come. It is here. It is happening. Light has broken forth. The darkness is being pushed away. Uh, we got uh, some work done in our uh, HVAC system a couple of uh, was last year. And uh, what I noticed come time for the, the AC to be kicked on is sometimes there would be this this funky smell coming from our our vents. Did some research into it, and apparently there is something that is called stinky sock syndrome that couldn't happen in your HVAC system. The reason this happens is not because of the person who installed it. He's an expert. It happens in the manufacturing process. And if, if uh, the, the, it's not cleaned properly and, and done right, it, it comes and is delivered to your home with some uh, bacteria in there. And, and in a dark location, like where your coils are in your HVAC system, it's dark and moist, the absence of light. It's a great place for bacteria to flourish. And when the air blows across this growing dark bacteria, they produce this stinky sock smell, and it's just distributed throughout our house. Now, you can spray it with cleaner, but they say that it'll, it'll come back. There's, there's one way that they, they've talked about of a way that you can take care of the stinky sock syndrome, the bacteria that's growing in the darkness of your HVAC system. It's through light. Putting a UV light in your HVAC area where the coils are, as the light is shining into the darkness, it destroys and begins to, 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 to annihilate the bacteria that are causing the trouble. Light has the power to not just bring light into darkness, but to purify, to cleanse. Almost, we could say, to make new. And what is John saying here? Things have changed. This darkness. The world had stinky sock syndrome. Your heart had stinky sock syndrome. Darkness 
pain, sin flourished in this environment apart from God. And now what John is saying is you've changed. You have been made new if you have placed your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus because He has broken into the world and things are changing. Through His life, His death, and His resurrection, the renewal is happening. The restoration is occurring. Light is chasing out the darkness and working back and defeating all of the effects that it has uh, produced and it has seen. The renewal is happening. Restoration has started. Jesus has beaten back the rule of darkness. And that means that we are the first fruits who have placed hope and faith in Him as the Holy Spirit is renewing us. We are demonstrations of the renewing work of seeing humanity restored into proper relationship with God and one another. And John says, this is who you are. This command to love is true in you because it was true in Jesus because of what the Spirit is doing in you. You are being changed. Jesus did not just come to show us how to love, but His love changes us. In fact, John is going to tell us in verses 9 and 11, look at what he says. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever, uh, and then in verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is saying, look, because this commandment of love is fulfilled in Jesus and the Holy Spirit definitely works it out in the lives of His people, if you are not demonstrating and showing love to one another, then you are not experiencing the renewing power of Jesus. The light has not dawned on you. You still remain in the darkness because love is evidence of walking with, of resting in, and depending upon Jesus as He changes us because of who we are. Who are we, does it say? Look at what it says in verse 7. How does it begin? Verse 7 begins, Beloved, who is this church primarily identified as? The Beloved. Loved by John? Yeah. But it's bigger than that. They are loved by their Heavenly Father. That means the core identity of this people and of us, those who have trusted and hoped in Jesus, is that your core identity is you are the beloved. You are loved of God. That is who we are. And if we are loved by God, then it only makes sense that then we would love one another. John is saying, this is who you are. Christians should love one another. Why? Because we are the beloved. God loves us and He loves one another. That means we need to rethink and evaluate where we find our identity. Do we identify with, as one another more as the beloved who love one another? Is the core of our identity found somewhere else? Is our identity more rooted in our theological distinctives? And that we can see that as being a, a reason to maybe not show love to the beloved. Is it found in political or socioeconomic differences and our perspectives and opinions on policy or ethnic differences? Are we, are we eager only to show love when it's easy and when it's not difficult? 
Does, does our pride of thinking that we are better, more acceptable to God, we have it more, uh, better together theologically or in the way that we live our lives, and so we tend to, to, to look at ourselves and look down on others, and because of the attitudes that we have towards others, we distance ourselves from them, and our identity and their identity is clouded? Is it our selfishness? John is saying, look, those things are not the core of who you are. Where it gets to is that you are the beloved. You are loved by God. And you need to understand that all of those other things pass away. And what we should value as we look and engage with one another is we should be quick to put all other things aside. And if things are coming in place and in the way of us being able to love one another, then maybe we don't understand who we are. And the love that we have as the beloved in the Father has not broken into our hearts. And we don't understand that the person that we're having the hard heart towards, God looks at them and says, I love them. I died for them. I gave my son for them. I love you just as I love them. Therefore, should we not, in light of that love, want to love those that God loves? But John doesn't stop there. He wraps up with it this way. It's not just that we should love one another as believers because of who we were, who we're supposed to be and love them because of who we are, but we're also to love them because of who we will be. Remember, verse 8, darkness is passing away. The true light is shining. Darkness hasn't completely passed away. The last time I checked my own heart and my own life, I struggled with sin. I struggle with hurt and pain, wounding my family. I do not love well. Neither do you. But how hard is it for us to love other people? The people that we are being called to love, the one another's, the sinners that Jesus died for, because the true light is breaking forth and darkness has not completely gone away, it's going to be hard. It will be difficult to love people. But we got to remember this. Although we're seeing that the light is broken forth and we are being changed, we, the law is being fulfilled in us, there is something that's already true about our, our salvation and who we've become. But there is something weighted. There's, like a, there's a not yet aspect to this of who we will be when Jesus makes all things right. It's this tension of the already and not yet that we see in, in Scripture. John is saying, look, you need to love and relate to one another, not just as who you are, but who you will be, because Jesus is renewing and he was restoring all things. And sometime the light will come and everything will be renewed. The person that you are struggling to love, Jesus is remaking in his image and they will become that. We uh, planted some herbs on our uh, our deck um, this summer. One one herb pot, I had uh, dill. Parsley and cilantro. Went out the, the other day to look at it, and all of a sudden, all of the leaves on my dill was completely gone. I was like, oh, that's weird. I don't know how dill works. Apparently, it sheds. Uh, we went out to get some parsley for a recipe we were cooking, and I see a giant caterpillar on the dill. 
and I run inside and I get the kids and they come out and we, we pick up the caterpillar and put it in this little bug container that Beckett has. And then Lindsay goes, look at all the caterpillars. And we look in the parsley. There's 20, 25 caterpillars, these huge green and yellow and black caterpillars all over munching and chewing and crunching and demolishing all of our herbs. We found out it was a, uh, uh, a black eastern swallowtail butterfly, and that's their caterpillar. And apparently they thrive, and the things that they love most are things in the parsley family, like dill and parsley and cilantro. So we collect these caterpillars, and uh, we're, we're learning about them, and what we found out is that the butterfly lays eggs, the eggs become larvae, the larvae become pupa, which is the caterpillar, which will then eventually form a chrysalis or a cocoon, and then they will become a butterfly. In some ways, we can say, as we're looking at the caterpillar, we're saying they're not yet a butterfly. But, but at the same time, we can say this, this is becoming a butterfly. The butterflyness is inherent in the, uh, the caterpillar. And in fact, we have one in a cup at home now. And he's formed his cocoon and he doesn't look like a caterpillar anymore. He's being transformed and changed. And here in a couple of weeks, we will see a butterfly emerge. We relate, in a, in a sense, with, this, with these caterpillars from the beginning as if they are butterflies because that's what they will become. Do you not realize that the transformation that is happening in us is far greater than any butterfly that will emerge out of this little cup on top of our refrigerator? You and I are being renewed in the image of Jesus, and who we will become will be like Him, reflecting perfectly His glory. Being human as God intended it and created it to love one another. Everyone in here, if you're following and trusting in Jesus. That means when we relate to one another, we should relate to one another knowing that we are in process. That means to love one another means we're going to have to confess sin. Loving one another means we're going to have to repent of our own sin. Loving one another in the context of who we will be and who we're not yet quite means that we're going to have to forgive one another. It means we are going to have to to serve and give our lives uh, for one another. It means that in love, we're going to need to challenge one another. We're going to need to humbly discuss and talk with one another. It means we're going to need to share our stuff and give our lives for one another and see that Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. If he died for them and he values and cherishes them enough that his spirit is working in them just as he's working in me, then maybe, maybe I should see and begin to love and engage and love one another because of who we are being made and we made in the image of. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes to save sinners, to transform us from rebels to beloved sons and daughters. And God is saying that this call to love one another flows out of the gospel. Do you know this love transforming God? Have you looked and hoped in Jesus and is he making you new? If not, the, the, the offer of the gospel stands. And John is saying from the beginning of this letter, look and hope and put your faith and trust in Jesus. And this transforming work will begin to happen in you. If you already name the name of Christ and you follow him, but you're saying, I'm realizing that I need a lot more work to work away the stinky sock stuff that's going on in my own heart then the call and the encouragement is to hope and trust in Jesus and call out to the one who loves you 
and who calls you the beloved to know that He will work and move, forgive you and change and reshape you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for the love that we see in Jesus. We thank You that we are known as the Beloved. We pray and ask that You would continue to change us, that our lives would exhibit the truths and the realities of the Gospel, that we would love one another as Jesus loved us, given Himself for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.